The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA and a mom to three girls. Michelle, my friend, I am happy to be with you. Tell me what's yeah. going on with you. What's new and exciting in your life? 
Oh, you know, I quit my job and <laughs> starting my own accounting firm. No big deal. <laughs> well, it's funny because I knew that, but I didn't know if you were like, oh, put it out there on the podcast. I should have known though, because your new LinkedIn profile says among her other pursuits, in addition to being a CPA, she is a co-host of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, which fired me up, Michelle. <laughs> yes, I'm very thankful to uh, people in my life helping me learn the ropes of LinkedIn and writing bios or copywriting bios, copy editing bios. And yeah, my LinkedIn profile has like 7,000% more views in the last 72 hours than it's ever had or something like that. Awesome. So, um, yeah, it's Very pretty cool. fun. I've, you know, I've come from a background of a family firm and uh, so I'm pretty excited to, to go out on my own. So I'm excited for you. What's the name of your new business? So the business name is uh, High Echelon named after uh, one of my grandfather's <clears throat> horses who won the Belmont in 1970. So there's a bunch of horses and a bunch of cool names, um, but High Echelon was kind of the most appropriate for the business that I want to own. Mm -hmm. And um, the most famous of our horses really was Stymie. I think that's the one that most people know, but didn't seem to work well. I was going to say that doesn't quite have the same feel for, for yeah. a public accounting firm. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm trying to weave, you know, the name high echelon and I don't actually need um, or specifically necessarily want to work with, let's say the highest echelon of income earners or, or whatnot. Um, so hopefully the branding will come through with kind of the family history and my dad's a CPA and um, just show kind of out there to service um, clients and small business owners. And yeah, just take everything I've learned the last 15 years and do it the way I want to do it. So I'm pretty excited. Um, have a pretty interesting task in terms of kind of bridging existing clients and probably going to name them legacy clients, let's say, and more the model that I want to build out in an accounting firm moving into the future. So there's going to be a lot more tech involved um, than we've, or I've previously worked with. So I'm excited. Very cool. Very cool. I'm excited for you. Um, be sure to let me know when like everything is kind of settled and once you're built and kind of humming along, because I'm going to hit you up for a sponsorship of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion <laughs> podcast. Okay. I'm actually really excited to Every time, you know, your my kids have a small program or some type of event or something, um, I've always wanted to be, you know, something on the back yeah. of some type of pamphlet or something, but I've yeah. never really had anything to offer. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm excited to to be able to participate like that also. Lots of new opportunities as a as a business owner. So um, absolutely. Yeah. So the Toco Hills 5K presented by High Echelon. <laughs> well, I think if I were going to sponsor a 5K, I'd probably run it somewhere where the word hill doesn't exist. Okay. But <laughs> fair. we'll see. This is fair. a very hilly area to, to race a race. I can't get back to my house, it feels like, without running up some massive hill, no matter which way I go out. So we'll see. It, it is Atlanta. Heat, hills, and humidity, as the t-shirt says. So welcome to Atlanta. Very good. Right. Very good. How's your running? Um... I have been experimenting. No, I'm just mm -hmm. kidding. I've been running just whenever I've had the chance as tax mm -hmm. season, you know, came to an end. And my last day at my uh, firm was on the 15th and went into the Passover holiday. So I've definitely 
been keeping up with the runs, but I've been running at 10 a.m. and I think I ran at 9 p.m. the other night. 9 p.m. Um, Who are you? Yeah, that's kind of what I mean by experimenting. Mm. So it turns out I I feel so much better later in the day, and <laughs> maybe this is news to nobody who's listening to the podcast. Exactly. But even if it's 10 a.m., it feels like well, I already had coffee and I had a full mm. meal and my food is digested. And I'm just going on these runs and my easy run pace has been the same probably for years. And my pace is so much faster, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I'm not doing anything. It's just, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's the time of day. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's fun. It's exciting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a big part of shifting to starting my own business is figuring out just uh, emotional freedom, financial freedom, and really physical freedom too. Um, I don't, necessarily have to wake up at 4am anymore. I'm never dropping off kids and, you know, running to the office by a certain time at this point. So a lot of this is just kind of figuring out a new normal for myself Very cool. and, um, running hopefully just fits right into the picture. It should Very fit cool. in a lot easier than it ever has before. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Research shows, as you know, because I've talked about it on the podcast before, research shows that, that that if you can do a workout in the afternoon, you'll perform better in that workout than you will in the morning. Um, not to say that you can't do a workout in the morning and perform well, but generally because you're just more awake, you'll do better in the afternoon. Now, the one intervening variable there is that the people that they studied hadn't worked a full day at a draining job when they were doing those afternoon workouts. Sure. Um, and so, so I, I do think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword to come home from work and you're tired and you're drained and then you go do a workout given the way that the, the, your mental state can so heavily influence your physical performance. Um, but, um, but yeah, if you can run in the afternoon when you're more awake and you're more alert, <laughs> you're probably going to perform better, assuming that you're not completely wiped out physically and mentally from a day's work. Yeah. Nighttime, we'll not so goes. great. Not t- nighttime. I can attest certainly by even as recently as last night, racing a Zwift race that starts at 7.30 p.m. Um, it can be hard to wind down from those. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to wind down. But um, ironically, when I did that run, I literally just showered and went right to bed really? and fell right asleep. So I think good. just all sorts of recovery um, and exhaustion going on. So for sure, you know, we'll figure it out. But. Very good. Very good. Um, well, I am excited about everything that you have ahead of you, including, of course, you're establishing all your, your new routines here over the course of the next while. Speaking of nighttime runs, um, we should mention that the, uh, the Atlanta mile that we talked about with Shane Strike a couple of weeks ago, whose name we're going to mention again here in just a couple of minutes, uh, that was scheduled for May 7th and that you and Lauren Fogarty have been kind of halfway training for, was canceled. Well, I would say Lauren has been diligently following our six week training plan. I've done two of the workouts <laughs> <laughs> and never registered. Also, um, yeah, yeah. I was totally going to be a last minute entry and pay whatever the exorbitant fee was for waiting until the last minute. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was surprised and sad to see that the Atlanta track club canceled that race. It seemed to have gotten a lot of attention and I knew a ton of people who had registered for it that have no business running a road mile. So oh. it felt like it was just going to be kind of a party. Mm-hmm. but um yeah sad hopefully they'll you know find another time to do it or do it i hope year. so too yeah i think i think i mean it's it's a great idea 
Um, and, and so I do hope it's something they ultimately end up doing. Uh, we joked about how when Shane was here that that it would be a terrible thing for me to do the week before a marathon. But, yeah, I was probably going to do it anyway. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a good thing that that it was taken off for me personally in this very narrow, very limited way. It was probably a good thing that it was canceled because that will take away any temptation I have to go out and injure myself the week before a marathon here. But I do have relay races each of the next two weekends. Um, here leading up to my marathon and I'll have that down weekend since the mile has been canceled and then I have a marathon. So looking forward to all of those, but doing the Ragnar re trail relay this weekend and then doing the tobacco road relay with my blue Ridge relay teammates, including of course our co-podcast host, Eric, um, and a few other folks the following weekend on April 30th. So a couple Did of fun relay weekends ahead. Fill up enough that Cause I know that they were skeptical about even being able to have the race. Yeah. There's about a dozen teams. So I think there's basically just enough teams to make it worth doing in terms of a test event. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and uh, they, they actually start the teams in reverse order of their speed. And so the, the, the slowest teams, the teams that put in or predict they have the slowest time start first. Um, and then the teams that predict they're going to have the fastest time finish or start last. The idea being that they try and get everybody to finish at right about the same time. Um, so where are you guys starting? We are starting last by like an hour and a half. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. And so, so uh, that, that came as a little bit of surprise to a lot of us, but, uh, but, but we'll see how that ends up uh, shaping our experience in the race, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. It's a shorter relay. Um, it's not as logistically difficult um, as the Blue Ridge relay. Um, there's four of us rather than six of us. Um, and so it's going to be fun. We're going to have a good time. Awesome. Um, it should be great. It should be great. Speaking of great things, the Boston Marathon was on Monday. Um, and I feel like neither one of us watched a ton of it, right? I mean, we both followed it, but but you were busy because because your girls were home for holiday, right? Um, and then I had sort of a regular work day. And so I was kind of checking in whenever I possibly could. But neither one of us quite got to follow this race as closely as we wanted to. Is that right? Is that fair to say? That is so fair to say. I had planned uh, Monday morning with no plans. I did have all my girls home on their spring break and thought that it would be more than uh, sufficient for them if we just chilled out in the morning and I got to sit on the couch and watch the marathon. And then we went out and did some fun stuff the rest of the day. They didn't like that idea. <laughs> they woke up and <laughs> they were ready to go. Um, your, 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 three, your three daughters, the old of, oldest of which is what, 15? Uh, she turned 16 yesterday. Oh, happy birthday to her so, one day late. So, um, so your then 15 year old daughter and younger weren't as much into sitting and watching an entire marathon the way was, that you were. I can't imagine. It was so ridiculous. Honestly, it was <laughs> like, guys, just let mommy watch this one thing. Um, <laughs> we had a weekend filled with guests and Passover seders, and we were up till midnight, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. That's why I went running at nine o'clock Sunday night. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought for sure they'd just be tired and want to sit on the couch and they were just annoyed with me watching it every minute to say nothing of the fact that I was on the phone with the IRS at the same time. And that took about two hours and 40 minutes, mm -hmm. um, trying to do all sorts of fun, uh, newly own a business type stuff. Right. So, you know, all of that combined made for probably a awful viewing experience for me. <laughs> and I was super bummed because I really wanted to just sit there and watch every minute of all the detail. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was very thankful for kind of the way that they split the screen uh -huh. at some points between all four races, because 
for better or worse, I could miss, you know, a whole section and then come back and see who was where at yeah. a given point in the race. So I felt like the NBC broadcast was very Michelle friendly on Monday. So thank I, you. I, I thought that was cool too. Well, and it, it was George friendly as well, because even though I was like following the updates on Twitter and, and just sort of the general live updates, and I was tracking a few people and looking at the leaderboards on the app and that sort of thing, I had a real busy work day on Monday. I taught two classes and observed another one, just like literally right in the heart when the racing was going on. So it just yeah, wasn't going to happen for me to actually sit down and watch it. Um, but it was on Peacock. And then of course they replayed it. Um, or you could access it anytime you wanted to replay. And so even though I knew what happened, I went on and was able to watch basically the last 10K of each race um, and, and kind of see what happened. But yeah, they had two separate streams, which I appreciated. They had yep. one stream, which was the commentators of one of whom was Kara Goucher. Um, and they were switching back and forth between the men's race and the women's race. And they talk about the various splits and, and uh, the different bios of the people going on. And they, they interspersed it with lots of like human interest stories and all sorts of things like that. And then the other one was what they called the mosaic, which was just a straight up split screen, no commentary, nothing. And, and during the wheelchair races, while the wheelchair races were still going on, it was split into four quadrants. And then when those were both done, it was just down to two quadrants, a men's race and the women's race. And you just got to kind of sit there and watch them side by side without commentary and without interruption or commercials or anything else. Um, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I remember coming back at one point and it was only the women's chair race and mm -hmm. the men and women running. And mm -hmm. I missed the men chair race finish, but, mm -hmm. um, I guess for anybody who didn't watch, highly recommend, like George said, going back and watching the last bit of each race. It was yeah. totally worth it. Um, it particularly was great, great, great racing, race. great road racing. So P particularly the women's race. The women's race was one of the one of the I think kind of one of the classic head to head battles that that people are going to be talking about for the next 10 to 15 years. <laughs> yeah, I think the lead uh, changed what half a dozen times in the last mile Se seven times in the seven last times. in the last two and a half miles the lead changed yeah it was incredible just punch counter punch punch counter punch yep. yeah um what la a couple of years ago when it was early pandemic and everybody was in lockdown and we on the podcast went on and said okay let's talk about things that are bringing us joy one of the things that I said was that that you should go back and watch YouTube videos of old races. And I yeah. said, you should watch Sammy Wanjiro in the 2010 Chicago Marathon. This and was very similar to that. Very similar to that. I agree. Um, the only thing that was missing was just the crazy commentary um, that you had in that 2010 Chicago Marathon video. Um, but uh, but but yeah, it was very reminiscent. And then fittingly, Sammy Wanjiro's wife uh, uh, ended up finishing third in the women's race. So how about them apples? Yeah. Um, but we're getting like way ahead of ourselves here <laughs> because it was so exciting and we, and we both enjoyed it, even though we weren't able, actually able to watch it live here. Um, let's talk about, um, uh, a couple of quick things here. Um, uh, let's talk about basically like, I guess you could say that the pre Boston stuff, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah. Um, you know, a week before Boston, there was a new world best set in the DMR, right? Actually, George, it wasn't a week before the Boston Marathon. It was Friday night. And although it's I stand rare, corrected, I appreciate the correction. Although it's rare to have an indoor track meet in the middle of April, um, New Balance has been building their brand new state of the art, rumored to be the fastest indoor track in the world facility in Boston for the last two years. And it opened, and the highlight of the meet was watching women compete for another DMR world record. 
uh, which they did. And if you're thinking, oh, I think the DMR world record was just set, it was. It was previously set in February by Union Athletics Club. And the team that ran Friday night in Boston broke 1039.91, which was set in February, and they ran 1033.85. Um, the team was made up with Olympians Heather McLean and L. Perrier St. Pierre, and then Kendall Ellis and Regine Willis came in and were the other two runners. So it was the most exciting part of the meet. I think it was the way to kind of get everybody in the door. And they did a lot of great stuff that I hope we see more of in track and field. There was no entry fee. You could buy beer there. It was a packed house. You know, it looked like a, a really fun time. So that opened the Boston Marathon weekend in Boston. Very cool. Perfect, actually. Um, and then on Saturday, was it Saturday or Sunday that you actually had the, the mile in the 5K? Since I got the date wrong once, I'm kind of gun shy now. <laughs> yeah, so it's always on Saturday. Sunday okay. is sort That's of kind of a, a dead day before the marathon. Right, uh, right. But Saturday morning is the BAA mile, the BAA 5K. It's a really fun uh, way to just kind of be at the finish line and mm -hmm. experience running and I mean, some people run the 5k and do the marathon. That's crazy. If you ask me, but <laughs> I, nobody you know, runs the mile just, and does the marathon though. <laughs> just watch, uh, watch the runners run and eat a bagel. And that's kind of my <laughs> preference for the Saturday morning before the marathon. So there you go. Very good. So, um, there are of course, uh, participant divisions and then there are, there are elite pro divisions, um, and the BA mile first, I'll mention that. Um, that was won by a runner named Annie Rodenfels, um, and she ran 435 to win. But friend of the podcast, Atlanta Track Club elite, uh, Sadie Henderson, uh, also ran the mile and finished 10th in 450. Um, and then on the men's side, it was won by Johnny Gregoric in 408. And friend of the podcast, ATC elite Shane Strike, who I'm telling you is inclined towards the longer distances. <laughs> was right behind him in third at 409. Um, and so I was glad to see both of them perform well in those uh, in those road miles. Um, so very good. And then the 5K. Yeah, so the 5K was also run Saturday morning for the men. Uh, the Canadian record in the 5K was broken. And Charles, they call him Charles PT, uh, but his last name is Philbert Tabutot. I'm sure I slaughtered that. Um, so he ran 1335, had a strong field kind of right behind him, but just he had said before on his social that he was going to win and he won. So that was a pretty good prediction from him. Pretty bold prediction uh, going into that. There were some I would say, really fast not, runners. Yeah, I say, it's not like that was not a stacked field. So no, that was a pretty stacked field. Um, and on the women's side, you know, there was a more clear favorite in the field, um, Teferi, who's the Ethiopian star who holds the women's only 5K world record of 1429. She ran the race in a much slower time, 1449, but she was 15 seconds ahead of, you know, uh, American recent kind of favorite Weenie Kaladi. Um, so it was much less of a race, but fun to see these women battle behind her nonetheless. So very cool. Very cool. Um, and then on to the main event. Come Monday, yeah. what was, was was the marathon itself? Uh, back on Patriots Day, back on Monday for the first time since 2019, right? In 2020, 
uh, in 2020, of course, you remember they, they canceled it initially or they postponed it, um, and then it was converted into a virtual race. And uh, I encourage everybody to go back and listen to our podcast in 2020, where we talked to Michelle and we talked to our friend Dara and we talked to our friend Eric, all of whom were slated to run it there in 2020. And I was slated to run it in 2020 as well uh, about what it felt like and, and uh, being shifted over to virtual. And then, of course, 2021, it happened in the fall. Uh, it was in October. Um, and so it seems like really recently it was it, it last happened. Uh, and so this is the first time since 2019 that it was back on its traditional day of Patriots Day. Um, and as we mentioned in our preview last week, um, you had the Tokyo Marathon and you had the Boston Marathon. And those are the only two world marathon majors that are actually taking place here in the spring. Uh, London, which normally takes place, of course, in the spring, right about the same week as Boston, is shifted to the fall. It shifted to October. Um, and so because of that, uh, athletes had to choose either Tokyo, like Elliot Kipchoge did, um, or had to choose Boston. And a lot of really fast people chose Boston. So fastest uh, fields that were ever assembled. And they had a perfect weather day, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I think for the elites, it was what you would mostly consider a perfect weather day. I think um, the, you know, maybe 2011 might be considered a better perfect weather day because there was a tiny bit of a tailwind. There was a but, massive tailwind in 2011. Yeah. 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 Maybe no. massive. The, 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 the men's winning time was the eighth fastest time ever um, run on the Boston course. And six of the seven faster times were all in 2011. Um, sure. <laughs> um, but I do think I heard from most people that started behind the elites and even those who started, you know, as high up as, uh, 4,000 that it was very sunny. Um, it, it got pretty hot out there. So even though the air temperature was perfect and the weather conditions were seemingly perfect, I heard so much talk about everybody was covered in salt at the finish and the sun just felt so hot. So, you know, the, the thing about Boston is not only is the course just wildly difficult to run um but the weather is so unpredictable and we've seen years where it started in the 40s and ended in the high 30s and obviously we've seen rain we've seen sleet we've seen 90 degrees i think twice in the last six or so years so but yeah this is about as good as it's going to get i think for boston marathon monday so very good very good so i had a bunch of people actually reach out at the start and ask me what's going on i thought the women start first um, and it is true, the women, the elite women used to have a head start, but this year, the men or the reason for, for changing the start is that the men had an eight minute head start. And the whole purpose of this was to make sure that the women winners were not finishing amongst, you know, more of a mass of uh, the top male runners. It was to give the women, you know, appropriate airtime and TV time and the women winners appropriate airtime and TV time when they were coming into the finish. So uh, the men went first, they went out eight minutes ahead of the women. And I think that was a really, a really good idea because when the women winners came down Boylston, there was nothing else going on, Agreed. but you know, the changing of uh, the, the female leaders down that last four tenths of a mile. So I thought yeah. that was a great, a great move. I agree. Yeah. They, they had, they had a very clean raceway, um, which, which I appreciate, which I thought was, was, was good. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. So men started first um, and the men went out not blazingly fast, but but about right. Um, they ran the first five miles, which is mostly downhill and twenty three fifty six. Um, and then they sped up a little bit. Uh, CJ Albertson took the lead and, and wanted to kind of keep on pressing that fast opening, kind of like he did last year. The difference being this year, people actually ran with him. Um, and so he ran that sixth mile in 440. Um, and as a result of that, there was a pretty big pack um, that kind of stuck together all the way through the first half of the race and really all the way up until the 35 kilometer mark. Um, and then at the 35 kilometer mark, Evans Chibet just dropped the hammer. Um, and he ran the last four miles of the race in 427, 426, 426, and 437. Um, his 5K split from 35K until 40K was 1355. That's um, incredible. It's amazing. Um, you know, he basically crested Heartbreak Hill, which crests right there at the 21 mile mark. And then it kind of flattens out and goes downhill just slightly towards the finish there. Um, and he just shifted gears in kind of an incredible way. Um, if you're going to watch any moment from the men's race, if you didn't watch it, go back and watch right there. And again, it's right at the 35 kilometer mark. And, and you don't necessarily discern that he's going faster, but, but there's this big clump of guys, 50, 14 guys that are all right there together. And just literally within a minute, they are no longer together <laughs> um, because, because it, it, it all came down to, okay, this is the move. Are we going to run with him and are we not? And one person attempted to run with him. Um, Gia attempted to run with him and couldn't keep up. And Gia ended up finishing outside the top 10 as a result of, of trying to keep up with Evans Chibet. Um, uh, eventually, he, of course, crossed the finish line in 205, uh, pardon me, 206.51. Like I said, it was the eighth fastest ever at the Boston Marathon. Six of those seven in front of him were from 2011, of course, as I mentioned, the day when they had the pretty massive tailwind. Um, Robert Chariot is the only person outside of 2011 ever to run fashion him, and that's when he ran 205.52 in 2010. Uh, Lawrence Torono was second. Um, he has run 15 marathons since the start of 2016. Lawrence Toronto has, uh, he's finished outside the top two and only two of those. Um, one of them was the summer Olympics last year where he finished fourth, just two seconds away from actually winning a medal. Um, and the other one was 2018 London. So, um, Lawrence Toronto finishing second, which is kind of what he does, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, he either wins or finishes second. Um, and of course he had a, a very, very impressive race there. So, uh, brilliant race from Evans to brilliantly executed. Um, and he left no doubt that he was the best male runner on the course that day. That is for sure. True. So last year, CJ Albertson, sorry, in October, so six months ago, last year's Boston marathon, he took it out really fast. And, you know, there was a point in the race where he had a two minute lead and obviously he fell back and but still maintained uh, top 10 at the finish. And everybody was pretty sure he was going to do the same thing this year. And he did. What do you think it felt like for him when he did the same thing, but everybody kind of went with him or exactly. he never really got out in front like he had before? Yeah, and that, that's funny. I mean, because he, he did do exactly the same thing. And he, exactly he, went out, the same. He, he, he went out and he pushed the pace. He pushed it in the same spots. Um, and, and everything else like that. He had, he had the exact same strategy he had last year. But whereas last year people let him go, this year the field was such a strong field that they were simply able to keep with him. You know, like it, it wasn't as much of a roll of the dice for them to stay with him the way it was. Sure. Um, 
not everybody chose to like Scott Fobble, for example, who ultimately ended up finishing seventh. And we'll talk more about him in a little while. Um, basically let the pack go. Um, but yeah, CJ Albertson, whereas he put two minutes on everybody last year, this year he distanced everybody except for 13 other guys, <laughs> you know, and then, and then he said himself, um, when he crossed the finish line, they're talking to him afterwards. He ends up, um, he ends up running faster than he did last year. Um, he finished 13th. So he's three places lower than he was, but yet he was a minute faster than he did last year. Um, he ran a new personal wow. best of, of, of 210 23. Um, uh, he said that, you know, he was trying to break it open, but then at the end he said, I was successful in breaking at least one person. That was me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, but he said afterwards, he said, I expected to be able to close better. He said, he said the plan worked almost perfectly, except for when it came time to run that super fast last 5k. I mean, he was literally the first one dropped out of that pack of 14. Um, and he just didn't have it. And I can't help but wonder since you brought him up, is the reason why he wasn't able to close faster because he had another marathon in his legs from three weeks ago. I don't yeah, think that's I, an unfair question. <laughs> it's not an unfair question. I, yeah. I just, you know, I, I love to see runners trained in a way that's obvious that they leave their best for race day, noting that anything can happen on race day. And I have long said and continue to say, that I think CJ Albertson does some of his best running uh, during practice, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah. but he ran a PR. Mm -hmm. I just, I think he could be like a 208 guy. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. I think a lot of people think that. Well, he um, thinks that. He, yeah, he I does mean, think that. Yeah, he thinks that. I mean, so so he kind of had this melancholy attitude in the mix zone after the race um, because, because that's what he wants to be and that's what he wants to run and that's what he thinks he's capable of running. Um, but I don't, I don't feel like you go out and run 208 if you run 210 in practice three weeks ahead of the race. I just don't – I don't know. He could totally prove me wrong. I kept thinking about what Eric said that when we talked about it three weeks before the Boston Marathon, that it's it's going to be a hero or zero moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is that if he goes out and wins, we're going to be like, wow, he's heroic. I can't believe he trained in such an innovative and fantastic way. And, and everybody was going to start trying to do, you know, pre-marathons three weeks out as hard as they possibly could. Um I don't think he was a zero for sure, but yeah, you can't run a PR yeah. on the Boston marathon course. And yeah. Have a zero and finish 13th. Yeah. I mean, definitely wasn't a zero, but, but with the way the race unfolded and, and just kind of watching on TV and seeing that Evans to shift gears and run, you know, that 22nd mile in four twenty-seven, um, and him being completely incapable of responding you can't help but wonder. I mean, yeah. you know, Evans to I mean, granted he beat everybody else. He ran 1355 for that 5k last 5k split from 35k to, to 40k over that same stretch. Um, CJ Albertson ran 1615, you know, I mean, literally two minutes and 20 seconds behind. Um, he's, I mean, that was one of his slowest 5k splits of the race. He's faster than that, but yeah, I'd love to see him just save it one time, one training cycle, just yeah. one marathon, CJ, yeah. just one. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, and I think one of the things that, that I've come to in my mind when it comes to coaching, um, is that, that, I don't know if, if, if this is what he feels like works for him, if this is what makes him feel capable and ready and prepared, if this is what he needs to do, even if it's not the optimum physical preparation, if it gets him mentally ready, then, 
Okay, so maybe he gives up 1% of the physical, but gains 6% via the mental, you know? But isn't some of the job of his coach to, to rework that mentality in a way, to err so. on yeah. the side of yeah. what research says is yeah. physically optimal? Yeah, I agree with you. I do. I do. And, and maybe his coach has a long-term strategy for doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just, we so, just haven't seen it. <laughs> so we just haven't seen it yet. It's, it's still in progress. It's still in progress. Yeah. Um, all um, right. So lot, lots of other, lots of other storylines we'll kind of circle around with, but let's talk about the women's race first. Tell us about that. Michelle. Sure. Um, yeah. So I think we were all really excited for the deepest, most competitive, fastest women's field. There was a little bit of disappointment leading up with uh, some of the top Americans pulling out. Kellen Taylor, Sarah Hall notably weren't present at the starting line, but the women's race went out and nobody wanted to run. It felt like they went out at, you know, uh, probably 227 pace and just kind of trotted along and then they picked it up majorly kind of after the I was going to say, then they decided they did want to run. <laughs> then they decided they did want to run. Uh, miles 6 to 16 were the fastest 11 miles ever run, ever run in a women's race in Boston history. Um, there were several points during this part of the race where they were on course record pace by under a minute, mm -hmm. which is wild. Mm -hmm. um, and that 11 mile stretch, just to give you an idea, was run at... Uh, 21452 marathon pace yeah. which would just be absolutely bonkers on the Boston Marathon course. Mm -hmm. Um once we got to mile 16, you know, as we previewed, we thought that it was going to be a race mostly dominated by the Kenyans and we see one Ethiopian up in the front pack and that's really what it was uh, for most of the time. So we had three people left around mile 16 that were really out front. Um Jeff Koskai Yashena and Jeff Chirchir, and of course she's uh, the previous Olympic marathon gold medalist and New York City marathon gold medalist. And she was for sure the favorite going in and they were really together until about two hours into the race. And then Jeff Cosgay got dropped and she ended up getting really dropped. She fell really far off the pace. She ended up finishing back seventh. Um, and then in the last mile of the race like George said we had, we saw the lead change seven times it was it was crazy every single time I thought um Paris was done you know she would just and she looked awful she I thought she looked I thought her body position I thought her face but you know every single time she would just take one or two strides and then she'd come back in front and she'd be a strider to ahead and then finally with you know probably 100 meters left she just took the lead and and just kind of stayed there um, so it was, it was pretty incredible. You know, the women had Boylston street to themselves. The professional men had already finished. This is the fifth straight marathon win, uh, for Paris Jeff Churchier. So she's by far in a way, the most dominant, uh, female marathoner that there is right now. I would say, you know, not to be, uh, forgotten is Edna Kiplagat. She's oh, 42 amazing. years. What? Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I mean, she ran the second half. She ran her best Boston marathon at 42 years old and she came in fourth place. She set a new master's record of 221.40. I thought maybe she would get up to third place. I was so hoping for a podium for her, mm -hmm. but just a phenomenal race to watch. Um, she just never gave up until the very end and sad to see her one place off the podium, but wow, what a race to watch up front. Um, it's the seventh time a woman's Boston 
finish has been decided by five seconds or less. And, um, but notably this, this time, the overall race time was, was much faster. Yeah. So, um, just, you know, kind of like the men, a pretty good day out there for the women too. In terms of the American women, I think a lot of us were looking forward or hoping for a big performance for Molly Seidel. She ended up dropping out of the race around mile 16. She had been pretty clear leading into the race. Uh, She had dropped from the New York City half a few weeks ago, just hadn't had the best build. She had gone dark on Strava for a few weeks and she's dealing with a hip impingement. So I think she was pretty bummed to have dropped. Um, But just as it was in October, uh, first American female was Nell Rojas. She is from Boulder and uh, she's 34 years old. And we spoke about her recently on how she had inked her first professional contract with Adidas. And it turns out that she uh, rescinded, or I don't know exactly how this works. I don't know uh, how you break a contract in the running world because we don't know much about them because uh, they're all you know, stuffed with these huge NDA clauses. But she had done some lead up races um, and she had been wearing the Adidas, uh, what is it? Ordinary. Adios Pro 2, something like that. Uh, Adidas Adi Zero Adios 2. That's it. Okay. She had done some lead up races and she had been wearing the Adidas Super Shoe, which of course has four names Adidas, uh, Adios, Adi Zero Pro 2. Yeah, what George said. <laughs> and um, just said that it, never felt right with her stride. She had had a really hard time recovering and essentially, you know, no sponsorship, no amount of money and and free gear and free shoes was worth uh, not feeling like she could run her best and not being able to execute on where she knew her fitness was. So she ran again, unaffiliated. Um, She wore Nikes, of course, and she had an amazing race. She ran a PR 225 all of the podcasts leading up to Boston, even I heard her interviewed with her father, who is uh, part of her coach coaching staff. She coaches herself and he helps out, um, said that she was in 225 shape. So I think it's just fascinating how they are so in tune. Uh, she's so in tune with herself and her father is so in tune with her fitness because I think it's one thing for a marathoner to say, oh, I'm in 225 shape. I'm in 227 shape. It's a whole other thing to run that time on the Boston marathon course. Absolutely. <laughs> so, sure. um, you know, it was For great sure. to see her have another good day out there. And then second American was Stephanie Bruce. She came in 228 and then rounding out the top three for the American woman was the one and only Des, uh, also came in in 228. She had had a pretty rough build also and said she was really just kind of finding, uh, her cadence these last three weeks and had, really just felt like she was finally on an upward trajectory. So it'll be interesting to see what she does next. She definitely seems uh, like a fire is reignited a bit. And I'm hoping that we see her come back, you know, for something else in the fall. And this was her ninth Boston. So maybe, maybe, but you know, maybe Des has one more Boston in her to run 10 of them. That would be super awesome to see. So yeah, lots of, lots of good stuff on the women's side also. Michelle, you hit us with like, 10 storylines all at once. <laughs> Isn't that my job here? <laughs> well, I feel like we need to go back and like, like revisit each one individually. 
I got all night. I just took a nap. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You're good. My my the rest of my family's all out of town. So what else I got to do except right. to go back and I don't know binge watch some more suits. Um, but anyway, so so let's <laughs> let's talk story. first about uh I, I guess let's talk first about about that that opening race or the the, the race for the win between um, Abel Yashinya uh, and Perez Jepchichir. Um Yeah such a cool race to watch and just like i said if you're going to watch the any part of the men's race you should watch like the last 5k the last 7k from 35 forward if you want to turn on the women's race you can watch like the last two miles um if you only have limited time there and just watch the the, the two of them go back and forth one reason why it's so reminiscent of that 2010 sammy wanjiru chicago marathon race is because Jepchichir looked so much worse than Yashinya. <laughs> so much I mean, worse. Like, like and, and the commentators, like Kara Goucher is talking about it. And, it's just, and, and basically it's just giving it over to Yashinya. It's just like, yeah, she's going to win. She looks so much smoother. Her knee lift is so much better. And then you just have, have Paris Jepchichir just staggering along behind her and then somehow just finding a way to get in front of her um, and, and is ultimately able to pull away. Um, yeah, and, and like you said, Paris Jepchichir runs 221.01, um, a brilliantly fast time for the Boston course um, to win by four seconds. Um, one thing that struck me about the two of them, and so, so often – when runners, when pro runners cross the line, a lot of times, particularly if they win because they're happy and they're elated by having won, they, they're waving and they're cheering and they're, they're high-fiving the crowd and they're hugging their manager and all that sort of thing. Both of them were wiped out. Did you see that? Um, they were, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, like, like they kept trying to put the, the, the camera up in Yesenia's face and she kept like pushing it away, pushing it away. Yeah. Because, because she didn't want them to see it. Cause she thought she was going to puke or something. Like she didn't want them to see her like that. <laughs> yeah. They looked pretty you bad. Um, and then, yeah. And it's not as if, I mean, and, and as strong as they were and, and the fact that they had been alone for, for so much of the race or when they had Joplin, just Cosguy with them. So it was only three of them for as much as they had been alone. Um, Edna Kipklat and Mary Nagugi actually closed a lot behind them. Um, Nagugi and Kiplicat were, were 66 seconds back at 35 K, but they were only 38 seconds back at 40 K. Um, and then they ultimately only finished 27 seconds back. Um, and so as fast as that battle was happening up front, the third and fourth place runners were actually catching them. Um, Nagugi ran 221.32 and Kiplicat was fourth. And, uh, and like she said, like Michelle said, uh, a master's record 221.40 on that course. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, she is amazing. Did you did you read what what uh, Nagugi said? What Mary Nagugi said about Edna Kiplegat afterwards? Um, I, did I love that. that. That was. She said she said Edna 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 is amazing. She's like, oh, they're not so far. It's six k. Six k is a long way to go. We can still catch them. So she sprinted, <laughs> and I followed her. <laughs> um, just the 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 peace of mind and the self possession that Edna Kiplegat clearly has, and she won this race in what 2018, four years ago. And she's um, been second, I think, also. Yeah. Um, or no. she's definitely been on the podium. What a fantastic runner she might have actually submitted herself into one of my all-time favorites um with, with with that run um but i'm definitely going to go down a youtube rabbit hole with edna kiplegatter here over the course of the next little while um, yeah i mean you could tell that they were closing i don't at least from you know the the tv perspective it didn't mm -hmm. look like they had a chance to ever catch right, them but they right. you know they were having their own battle for third and fourth right behind them so mm -hmm. that's fun mm -hmm. to watch yeah and then we, but it was funny because it was so the camera was so trained on the front too 
And then suddenly so nice. you start to see people behind them. And it's right. like, wait, are those guys that they passed? No, wait, those are other women. They're actually catching up with them. So that right. was kind of super fun to watch as well, too. But yeah, um, like you said, the women's race tends to be super close. The closest ever finish was in 2009 with Selena Kazgai and with Dire Tune. They were only one second apart. Um, and that was when Kara Goucher, who was doing the commentary for this race, was actually third. Um, and she was only about 10 seconds behind. Now, all three of them were about 10 minutes slower um, than, than Perez Jipchichir and Abel Yashenya were the, the other day. Um, but still, it was a closer race. And kudos, I will say, to Kara Goucher as, as a commentator on this race for not bringing that up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I thought that was a very professional move of her, frankly, um, because she, she could have easily, so easily said, this was just like my race. And just like when I ran, and it was so close and just hurt. So, and she didn't do that. And, um, and I thought that was pro. I really did. Yeah. I appreciated that. I've heard Kara talk a little bit about her role with NBC and color commentary and the role that she provides and, um, making personal historical references, I think is, is kind of off limits. And I think it's, you know, at times, um, I think she would love to, but yeah, she really sticks to the rule book and mm -hmm. it was fabulous to have her doing the commentary, at mm -hmm. least the feed that I was watching. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think she does a pretty good job. Um, um, I think it's a low bar, frankly. I mean, because totally. running commentary tends to be pretty <laughs> yeah. bad. Um, and that's not to take anything away from her. It's just to say that it tends to be really, really bad. And I think she does a good job. I do. Um, you said Molly Seidel dropped out and I was definitely sorry to see that. Um, she said by mile 16, I was in a good deal of pain. I had to make the difficult call to stop at the medical tent to avoid really damaging anything. Um, this is Molly Seidel's first bad marathon. That is true. You so know? she was due. We had yeah. a Olympic trial success, yeah. major yeah. Olympic yeah. success with that yeah. bronze medal, yeah. phenomenal yeah. run in, in New York city in the fall. So yeah. Molly will be back. Hopefully yeah. she, she gets healthy and uh, it's hard to run in pain. 26.2 miles is a long way. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and then let's talk about Nell Rojas real quick. Um, and so she, she signed a deal with Adidas after she was able to, to get, uh, or after she, she finished as a top American back in October. Um, and then kind of at the last minute, kind of at the 11th hour said, yeah, I broke my contract. I'm not going to run with Adidas wore, like you said, all black outfit and, and no Adidas wear and wore Nike Alpha Flies instead. Um, and she said, unfortunately, it just didn't work for me talking about the shoes. And I had to make a really tough decision to wear a shoe that works for my foot and that I'm confident and that I knew I could stand on any start line and be competitive. Unfortunately, I decided to run a different shoe today. Um, this has created a little bit of drama. <laughs> yeah, but kudos to Nell for just you know, breaking the Adidas contracts quietly leading in and, and nobody really knew. Um, it was only announced. And I think uh, Allison Feller from Alley on the Run is the person who announced it right before the race. Uh, Boston puts out the women's, you know, preview with all the bibs. And it was just, you know, the announcement was subtle. It was like with one small change, now Rojas is running unattached. She'll be wearing all black. And I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, Tracksmith had gifted her um, a pair of shorts last October because she had uh, spoken kind of at the track house before the race. And she wore the same Tracksmith shorts, but in a different color, um, also gifted to her this year and a black Lululemon sports bra and Nike shoes. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what Nell does. Uh, Adidas came through, there was a lot of good PR for them. Nell asked them for support after the fires. 
kind of ravaged through Boulder and, you know, she had friends who needed gear um, and they, they came through with a big support package for that. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because Adidas won <laughs> the Adidas shoes won the race on both which, sides, which, which they right? pointed out that both the men's winner and the yeah. women's winner were wearing the Adidas Adios Adi zero pro two. Mm-hmm. It's a good shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess these shoes are just, they either work or they don't. And she figured that she can't win and she can't run her best. And, you know, maybe she just had no confidence in them because of what the tune-up races went like for her, but it's a pretty bold move, you know, walking away from a sponsor, from a sponsor like that. Um, so I think it, it sets a good precedent for, you know, women, anyone really negotiating a professional running contract, not to settle if you don't have to, so to speak. So I guess she felt like she was in that position. Um, you know, she's been doing this a while. She was in triathlon before she came to running and she's 34. So she obviously has a, a way to sustain her life without, without the professional contract um, or the partnership, but hopefully, hopefully she'll, you know, get another opportunity here um, after this pretty dominating performance. So. I agree. I agree. And, and we should point out that not everybody quite sees it that way. Um, that that, that some true. people, so, some people see that, you know, she broke her contract and she broke her word and that, that she committed to Adidas to wear their shoes and at the last minute backed out of it, as opposed to doing something more constructive and, and trying to work out an agreement with them. Um, and so, so not everybody sees it that way. Um, uh, notably Scott Fobble, who, who either broke his contract or didn't renew his contract with Hoka last year, um, ended up being the top American finisher on the men's side. And he also was technically unsponsored. Um, he also does not have a sponsorship right now. And so both the American men's winner and the American women's winner uh, were unsponsored. Um, and the nature of the controversy is, well, both of them did have sponsorships. Um, and so you could, you could argue that they're unsponsored by choice because they both walked away from their sponsorships. Um, at the same time, I think an equally valid argument can be made that Scott Fobble was the top American two years ago, three years ago, right? Uh, Nell Rojas was the top American in October. They shouldn't have just one contract offer. They should be awash in contract opportunities. Um, and they would if this was any other sport, especially Scott Fobble. He walked away from his contract last year. Yep. Um, he's been a free agent now for, for like six months. Now, Rojas, you can kind of understand because nobody knew she was unsponsored until literally like hours before the race started. Um, but she didn't have time to ink a contract with a new sponsor. But Scott Fobble, there's no reason why he shouldn't be sponsored by somebody right now. And he's not. Um, yeah, it's been a tough time for Scott since he left um, Nazalite and, and the Hoka sponsorship. And I saw a funny tweet from him. Um, he said something this morning. You know, he's kind of uh, social media famous for his burrito, love, love <laughs> of burritos. And he said something like, gosh, all these new followers in the last 24 hours are going to be really upset. This is really just a burrito fan page. <laughs> so, um, I sent him a tweet. I sent him a tweet the other day because you, you said, what kind of socks was he wearing? Because he was wearing Tracksmith shorts, those Tracksmith half tights, the same as, as Nell Rojas wears, which, and yeah, I'm so Nell seriously considering some, some, some Tracksmith half tights now. Uh, yeah, wore Nike shoes, Tracksmith uh, shorts, Lululemon tops. 
They both I did. wanted to know what socks was Scott wearing. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I sent him a tweet. He has not yet responded. So I Scott Fobble, when you hear the podcast, respond and tell us what kind of socks you're wearing. They look fresh, man. He had a good looking outfit. I thought he looked sharp for, for, um, for a non-sponsored athlete. Um, he actually ran a very interesting race. Um, he ran 208.52. He finished seventh. Um, he ran faster than he did when he was the top American um, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and he ran exactly even splits, 104.26, 104.26. Um, at the halfway mark, he was in 22nd place. Um, he went with wow. the lead pack through the five mile mark. And when CJ Albertson kind of pressed the pace as they continued on, he said, you know what, this is a little bit too hot for me. I'm going to let it go. Um, and so he goes through halfway, not slow at 104 26. Um, and then when Evans Chabet just dropped the hammer on everybody at 35 kilometers, he just kind of slowly moved up and mopped everybody up and moved all the way up into seventh place there. Um, so to run, like I said, 208.52. Um, interestingly, I, I thought that that gave him um, a time that literally would have put him in between uh, Alberto Salazar and Dick Beardsley back in 1982 and their so-called Battle of the Sun, which is one of the more yeah. famous American uh, Boston marathons of all time. His time would have put him, put him literally in between the two of them uh, had he run it exactly 40 years prior. <laughs> um, but yeah, interesting race from him. I hope we see a lot more from Scott. I hope it's, you know, I really like him and I think he, you know, he's now a 208 guy and he had been a 209 guy. And mm -hmm. um, so I hope, you know, we're kind of depleted a little bit in, in the men's marathoning, mm -hmm. uh, at least for the American men. So mm -hmm. Scott's pretty young. I think he's only about 30 and I hope we see a lot more from him and I hope a sponsor picks him up, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm not in on the, I don't know. I'm not with the people who, who fault them or who think that they walked away from sponsorship. I think this needs to be, you know, a situation where more and more runners uh, don't just, you know, take whatever they can get and, and really are able to make a decision for what's best for them and their careers and mm -hmm. what they feel comfortable in and what they have confidence in. And the well, technology well, the for the shoes is so rapidly changing that it's, yeah. you know, it's a major part of, it's like the engine in an F1 car or something. I don't know. I'm like, let them decide. <laughs> I appreciate the F1 reference there. Um, yeah, I couldn't help but, it. <laughs> but I, I know, I know. But but yeah, I mean, the 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 ideal situation is that a runner like Scott Fobble or even a runner like Nell Rojas, they don't have to take the 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 first offer that comes down the pike that they have a choice, like you just said, that, that they're able to say, all right, well, this particular group is offering me these things and these shoes I get to wear with this. And they're making a charitable donation to, to this charity that I care a lot about and all that sort of thing. Um, or this other one is doing something else, right? And they're actually to, able to, to weigh those different things. And even as other athletes do, leverage them against one another. <laughs> um, um, and, and that's just not a situation that even the best runners in the United States, even the best marathoners in the United States have right now. Um, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, um, it's a sad state for the sport. Speaking of charitable stuff and Nell Rojas, we should also mention, didn't she raise money during this one as well? She um, did. It was she for ran, Black Girls Code. Is that what it was? Yep. She actually, when she had finished the race, um, she still hadn't reached her fundraising mark of $10,000. Mm -hmm. And then once, uh, I think Allison Wade of Fast Women posted that, the next time I looked at it, it was over $10,000. So oh, um, we don't see many, you know, top professional runners or any rate really <laughs> fundraise uh, mm -hmm. for their own races. So it was mm -hmm. good to see that also. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the people who finish at the front of the race tend not to 
focus on fundraising. Um, they tend not to, to, to use their running as a means to, to, to gather money um, uh, for charitable causes. Um, and I appreciate the fact that she does. Um, and so, so good for her. Um, yeah. And an interesting charity as well, uh, not necessarily a running related charity, um, which, which I think is pretty cool too, which is pretty cool too. Um, so like any other major marathon, there are multiple other storylines in here. So let, let's, let's talk about a few more, uh, a couple of other things here. Um, first of all, let me give a couple of shout outs to, to people that are friends of the podcast here. Um, what marathon, what Boston marathon was this for Dara? Like, 50,000 straight. I mean, I think like, this was her 11th or 12th. Okay. Cause, cause when, when she came on the podcast, we were talking about how she had run, I guess, 10 straight, um, and, and had been disrupted. Um, yeah. So I think this was virtual. her, I mean, she did the virtual in 2020 and I think that would have been her 10th, right. but in October was her 10th in Boston and this was her 11th, but I guess her 10th on Patriots day. It's so mm -hmm. difficult. You could pick any number between 10 and 12. <laughs> She, so, had a great so, race. Uh, so. she did. And so congrats to her for uh, another Boston uh, finish, another great race and another requalifying for Boston for next year um, uh, for our friend Dara. Um, Tiago Bianchini, um, who's never come on the podcast to talk to us, but we've talked about him. Um, he is a Kona qualifier, a triathlete and a runner. Um, and he helped pace me last May 1st. Um, when I ran the uh, Global World Marathon uh, virtual marathon, um, he ran 15 miles of that marathon with me, um, which goes far and beyond what most people tend to do when you ask them to pace you for a marathon. Um, and uh, he ran 231 um, for a PR there uh, at, uh, at Boston. So I was psyched for him. He's now run it three times and he's run progressively faster each time he's run. Um, awesome. That's, that's very cool. Yeah. And so he very squarely has his eyes on uh, running under 230 in his next marathon, which uh, would be brilliant for him, which I, I hope that he does. Um, and then we should also mention our, our friend Chris Nasser um, uh, from here in the Atlanta area, an athlete that I used to coach when he qualified for Kona uh, several years ago. Um, he has gotten into push assisting with the Kyle Pease Foundation. Um, and he and Bentley Grace Hicks uh, ran the race together um, with Chris pushing her. Um, and they ran 251. Um, they ran 249 last October um, in, uh, in Boston to, to run the fastest that anybody had ever run um, uh, pushing um, in the push assist division. Uh, and so they ran just a little bit slower than that by running 251 this time around. So uh, congrats to them for winning that division once again, um, Bentley Grace and our friend Chris. Um, other kind of storylines here. Tell us about Tommy Puzzi. Oh, Tommy Puzzi. I think we found out Runner's World put out an article that you you had sent me that uh, just talked about, you know, notable quote unquote celebrities running the Boston Marathon. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we had talked about Tommy Puzzi back in uh, back in the fall. We've talked about him a lot. It goes by Rivs. Um, and he had come back basically from <laughs> death. <laughs> in some, in some senses. And, and he was out there at New York city marathon and he finished, you know, in the dark, I think it was over 10 hours mm -hmm. and he ran Boston. And I didn't know until, you know, you sent me that article that he was running and mm -hmm. I don't think many people knew he didn't really put it out there. Um, maybe until that article, maybe he didn't even know that it was in that article, but he ran six and a half hours. So in a span of, you know, six months, he's basically gained enough strength and fitness back to go, 
um, about three and a half hours faster, which is just phenomenal. So yeah, I think, yeah. and he looked good. He looked, I, it's interesting because I guess what we had seen before, I thought he looked good in New York, but now I'm like, oh, he looks even better. So it was, you know, it was fun to, fun to see him run and saw some Instagram stories where he was high-fiving people on the sidelines. And it's just been awesome to, to watch him battle back from this, you know, horribly rare uh, cancer diagnosis that really almost took his life. So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he, um, he got as close to death as you can get. I think it's fair. Uh, Yes. Um, And, and, um, and so has slowly been rebuilding his life and rebuilding his body and trying to get back. I mean, this is somebody that's run under 220 in the past has been Olympic marathon trials qualifier. Um, And so, so he said that that nine hour, 10 hour marathon he ran in New York was the toughest marathon, the toughest run he had ever done. Um, And so merely six and a half hours in this one, he's definitely moving in the right direction. You know, you mentioned Instagram. Uh, You sent me a reel that he put on Instagram um, that was a collage of, of all sorts of pictures over the course of the past two years of some of the, the stuff that he's undergone. And you said, you, when you sent it to me, you said, this is harrowing and you can't unsee it. Yeah. You, um, yeah. And you were right. I cannot unsee that. Um, and, and so it looked, I, he looked like somebody that he looked like a completely different person, but he, he but looked he looked like, like a- pictures that you see of skeletons from concentration camps. He did. That's, that's what yeah. I see. That's what I, that's what I envision when I envision him in that reel. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. And now he's, he's back and piecing his life together and piecing his fitness together and running six and a half hours on the Boston marathon course. What a tough Amazing. dude, man. Um, I yeah, incredible. Uh, really. Mm-hmm. So, so, so kudos to him. Um, Yuki Kawauchi former champion. Yeah. Much lighter note, Yuki Kawauchi, former yeah. champion of the Boston marathon, of course, won in, uh, the, the dreadful conditions that were 2018. I said that Edna Kiplagat won in 2018. Obviously she didn't, uh, uh, Des Linden won that year. Edna Kiplagat, Kiplagat must've won in 2019, 2017. We might have to look that up anyway. Um, uh, Yuki Kawauchi, former champion ran 2:12:55. Um, continues to run just blisteringly fast times. Yuki does amazingly um, was only good for 20th place here in this extremely competitive day, but uh, shout out to our man, Yuki still out there doing it. Very good. And then speaking of still out there doing it director, your friend, Dave McGillivray ran his 50th Boston marathon. Yeah. It's funny. Um, Dara actually sent me a picture, a finish line picture of him just, kind of working at the finish line pre-race, um, the backside of him. And she was really excited to see him out there. But yeah, I think we've mentioned this before, but every single year after the race is done, he runs his own Boston marathon, goes back to the start, you know, has a small entourage of people with him. And wow, that's a lot of Boston marathons. Yeah, right? it is. Like, 50 bo- he's done it 50 times now, right? It's not like he's that old of a dude, or at least I didn't think he was. He must be I don't know how old he is, but, but yeah, um, he's run it 50 times now, which is pretty incredible. Um, and, and I, and I, I joke that he's Michelle's friend because for your 40th birthday, your mother gave you a cameo video of Dave McGillivray. Yeah, that was, uh, and he shouted out the most pleasant exhaustion podcast on it, which I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure she didn't feed him that information. I'm I'm sure of course he's probably listening right now. Congratulations, Dave. Well done. (laughs) Uh, um, all right keep going 
so just to back up for one second, Kiplaga won 2017 and she was on the podium in second place in 2019. There so we go. There we that's, go. That's uh, pretty fabulous. She's got other, you know, world championship uh, accolades to her name and all sorts of stuff. Phenomenal yeah. runner, 42, and just really one of the all-time best, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, like, like, like I said, I am. I will not make that mistake ever again because I am primed to go down an Edna Kiplagat rabbit hole and learn more about her. Tell us about yeah, Sam yeah. Recker. Yeah, so Sam Recker is um, a nurse, and most people, I think, know her. They don't realize they know her, but she's been a tracksmith, quote-unquote, model for several years. Um, she's in most of their print media, and she went out and ran in scrubs, and she fundraises, she fundraised um, about to support nurses, mental health and well-being. And she has a pending Guinness world record for the fastest marathon in scrubs. She ran 248.02. She also won. That's speedy, dude. A woman in scrubs running 248. That's incredible. Yeah, she did a lot of her training in scrubs also. So I think she's in the area. So I think she, she had a lot of people who supported her, you know, on the weekend runs. And of course, she's out there and she's at the front of the, the pack for, I guess, you know, the amateur race. Um, and she could have started with the elites, but I'm pretty sure she just went with wave one. Uh, <laughs> that would have been a great start line photo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also tracksmith has this fun competition among Boston marathoners to see who can be the first to get back to their track house on Newberry street after the race and, and Sam won that as well. So <laughs> she got a lot of great PR leading up to the race. Um, she kind of came into nursing and, and became a, a nurse practitioner, you know, right on the cusp of the pandemic. And I think she's always navigated either nursing school or full-time job um, in this field. And obviously wanted to just find a way to highlight uh you know, nurses, mental health and well-being, and and fundraised a tremendous amount of money and went out there and ran basically as a nurse instead of, you know, one of the top American marathoners like she, like she is. So that that was hopefully fun. And she had said leading up, she hadn't had any chafing. Um, I haven't heard how it actually went running (laughs) the 248 marathon in scrubs, but uh, I'm sure we can find that information if we look. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, speaking of people who are my new heroes, uh, Mariko Yugeta, uh, 63 years old, uh, Japanese woman. Um, she ran a 2:52 at age 62, um, not at Boston, but a few months ago, um, she ran a 2:52 13 marathon at age 62. Um, she competed in the first mar- or in the uh, Boston Marathon for the first time. Uh, she ran 3:06:27 um, at age uh, 63. Um, there in Boston, 306.27 at age 63. Um, notably, she was second in her age group um, behind a 60-year-old named Heather Knight Petch, uh, who ran 303.47. So some no alarmingly fast older women. <laughs> um, just, just incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then speaking of, uh, of older women who ran, um, uh, Val Rogasheski, um, who was one of the first women to officially run this race in 1972. Um, and we talked when we talked about Danielle Friedman, most folks know this story about, you know, Catherine Switzer and, and Bobby Gibb and all that sort of thing. Well, it was still another five years before the Boston Marathon decided to officially let women enter. Um, and so they finally did in 1972. Um, and one of the first women to officially run the race in 1972 was Val Um, And she actually started the elite women's race. She fired the gun. Um, and then she hopped into the race and ran the whole thing with her daughters. And she ran 638.57. Um, so, so good for her. Um, I also thought it was kind of cool. Her bib number was 1972. 1972. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Last couple of folks we're going to talk about. So Henry Richard is 20 years old and he finished the marathon eight years after his brother, Martin Richard was killed in the bombings. Um, so that was, you know, an emotional finish for him. Um, and it took a while, but, uh, Jackie Hunt Barosma is looking to run. She was looking to run hundred marathons in hundred days. She's an amputee. And I've really been following her since she started this. And I was surprised that it took kind of mainstream running media so long to catch on, but they finally did once she hit 70 something marathons and she's been making the podcast rounds and there's been articles written about her. And it turns out a week or two ago, somebody broke the hundred marathons in a hundred day record. So now she's searching for 102. Um, she ran a few of these in Boston and she basically ran her 92nd marathon on marathon Monday. And it was the Boston marathon. Um, she vacillates, she's in Arizona. So she, you know, sometimes is on the treadmill, sometimes out there in the heat. And, you know, she really came out and said, uh, I'm hoping this will inspire others to get out of their comfort zones and try something new and truly see what you were capable of. You've always got more to give. It doesn't have to be as crazy. It just needs to push you a little out of your comfort zone. Um, she's a mom to two girls and I've heard her on a few podcasts and she's kind of waking up, getting her kids off to school and literally going to run a marathon every single day. Um, she talks a lot about her stump Mm -hmm. (laughs) and whether it's irritated or, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it feels good and it's just pretty much been an incredible story to follow. And she's just, she's so close. Um, so it's crazy, you know, it's gone from, I remember when she hit the 50 marathon mark. 50 more marathons and now you know she's down to 10 more marathons so yeah Yeah. um she she, i i dare say of all the people that we've talked about so far here you know it's wednesday night when you and i are talking the race was on monday since that race she has since run two more marathons i dare say she's the only person who has run two marathons that we've talked about, you know, since Boston that we, that we've talked about tonight, but yeah. Um, she's a, she, she says that running prosthetics are super expensive and not every amputee will have the opportunity to experience running as I have. It's not as simple as putting on a pair of running shoes and you're out the door running prosthetics costs anything between 10 to $20,000 and many insurance companies see running as a luxury for amputees. So they don't always cover it. Um, and so because of that, she said, I've decided to do this attempt to raise money for amputee blade runners they're a wonderful charity who provide running blades for amputees. I would love to give running opportunities to other amputees like me. Thank you for donating. Um, and so she has a GoFundMe out there where if you're feeling inspired by the marathon she's done, including marathon number 92 in 92 days at Boston, 
um, you can, uh, you can support the charity that she is supporting. So yeah, she's to her. NC runner Jackie on Instagram. If you want to find her, she previously lived in North Carolina. Um, I've heard her in a few podcasts. She's actually, I think she's Australian. Um, and it's Jack it's NC runner Jackie. It's J A C K Y. Right. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Um, very so, good. Yeah. All Pretty right. Awesome stories from Boston as usual. Uh, Marathon Monday is pretty special. <laughs> Boston looked like it was, um, you know, in full effect this past weekend. So for sure, for sure. Um, fans were out. Uh, it was a gorgeous day. Um, and I think it, uh, it was exactly the day that, that everybody was hoping it would be. Uh, Michelle, we closed the last podcast where we were actually previewing the Boston Marathon by you saying that there is nothing that happened that made you actually want to go there, that you didn't even have the slightest hint of jealousy of all the people that were going to Boston. Now that the day has passed, did you have any FOMO at all? No, none. <laughs> is that horrible? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Um, I think I think you enjoy being a fan, and I think that's good too. I yeah, good I'm too. good with the fanfare for now. All right, last word, Michelle. Uh, let's go with a reminder about our new book of the quarter, ah, Out perfect. of Thin Air by mm-hmm. Michael Crawley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started it. I've read, I think, two chapters. So cool. um, highly recommend everyone diving in. Uh, you have plenty of time. It's only April still. So, but exciting to, to get through another book and, and talk about it on the podcast. So. Me too. Me too. You are two chapters farther along than I am. We are at the tail end of the school year here. The semester is winding up um, because things get more intense before they, before the breaks uh, in, in education. And so I have lots of grading to do and lots of papers to, to, to read and that sort of thing. So I am looking forward to joining you in that very reading. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> no problem. Michelle, I appreciate your being with me and reviewing the Boston Marathon once again. My good friend, congratulations on your new biz. Thank you. We'll see you next time. All right. Have a good night. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's SlayRx.com, Facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.